I say this all the time, you know, just, just be optimistic. The past is the past. It's not coming back. Um, the future's all we got. And, uh, you know, maybe the future's not as bright right now as it was a couple of years ago, but these deer, deer will recover. Remember that same guy said, I've never seen these hills this green. Just, he never remembers it being better than that. Rockcast is powered by Onyx Hunt, and for good reason. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Stay tuned for a Rockcast promo code. Hey, Rockslide, Robbie Denning here for today's episode of the Rockcast. If it's a little loud, it's because I'm in the pickup. I uh, just got done with my daughter's soccer game. I pulled off the mountain to come down here and watch her, and I uh, thought it'd be a good time to give you a recap on what's been going on the last week. I've been archery hunting, and uh, we'll cover that, kind of where I'm at with that, and a few takeaways that might help you on your hunts this fall. Uh, let's see, what else are we going to do? Before we get started on that, I wanted to give a shout out to some of the guys that have taken some good bucks already. Um, if you're an Instagram hater, well, you're just going to have to fast forward because this uh, part of the episode won't apply to you but these guys are all on instagram you can jump over to their pages and i think instagram is a pretty positive platform myself uh, for the most part and a good place to share your photos uh keep it tasteful definitely remember there's a lot of people that don't hunt on instagram uh but definitely don't be shy to show off your your bucks and bulls and does and antelopes and all that kind of stuff we all want to see it uh so anyways uh, some of these guys that I've seen the last week, um, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of homework on this. All right. Uh, this, this podcast is to help you become a better deer hunter. And so I think you need to study other successful deer hunters to do that. And, uh, I'm going to tell you about five different bucks I know of that guys have taken. You can go to their pages on Instagram and look them up and uh, read the little stories. And in four of the five bucks, there's a common theme. I'm not going to say what it is, um, but go look them up. And if you figure out what that common theme is in four out of those five bucks, then uh, hit me up on a DM on Instagram or a PM on Rockslide. No, you're not going to win anything, but you're going to get a fist bump for uh, paying attention. So uh, first guy I want to mention is uh, Travis Nowatney. I think I messed your name up, buddy. I'm sorry. N-O-W-O-T-N-Y. He's in the industry. Uh, Good buck hunter. Um, Got a good buck with his bow this year. Go jump jump on his page. Check it out. Read the little story he's got on there. By the time this episode airs, you may have to jump back a few posts on people's uh, pages, but you'll see it on there. Uh, Good looking buck. Sagebrush buck, it looks like. Um, Read his story. Check it out. Um... Let's see. Next one, Brax Hamilton. Heck of a buck. Go check that out. Brax, B-R-A-X, Hamilton. Good job, buddy. God bless you, man. That is a great buck. God did bless you with that buck. And um, love the little story that you put in there. Uh, Looks like your friend's story was somehow uh, involved. Seems like he's always always there. Something to do with big bucks. 
That's great. Congrats to you guys. I was really excited to see that. And then let's see, next one, my friend Steve Alderman. Looks like he got a buck. Good buck. Uh, way to go, Steve. I think I saw double droppers on that thing, if if I remember right. I've seen so many bucks the last couple of days. I'm getting them mixed up, and I'm pretty sure uh, yours did. Heck of a buck. Good job, Steve. Looked like there was a little drama that went along with that, but I trust you, buddy. I believe you, and I know there's a few haters out there that try to smear successful guys, and uh, 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 for all of you guys who might get judgy when somebody shoots a buck on public and it uh, dies on private, be careful. It could happen to you. It's, it is it is easy for that to happen, and there's a lot of good bucks that uh, move between private and public, and um, a lot, a lot of us choose to hunt them. What are we supposed to do? Just leave them alone because there's a chance they might die on private, and we got to go knock on the door and see if somebody will let us get the buck. Um, reading Steve's story, it looks like there was some of that involved, but all legal, all good. Steve recovered his buck. Good job, man. Heck of a buck. Glad, to, glad to see you get one. Not surprised. Uh, let's see. This guy might not have a uh, public Instagram page. I can't remember, but anyways, I'm going to blow him up. Uh, he, he, he may not even want you on his page, but hey, man, if you're on Instagram, you're, you're fair game. So uh, the Savage Hunter, good guy, heck of a hunter. Go look at that buck he got. And uh, I, I got to talk to him, and heck of a story. He found this buck while he was packing out, and no history with the buck. And um, doesn't I don't know if he got it from the trail, but he was on his way out with a with a pack string of goats, and killed this buck with his goats at his side, which is just incredible. But go look at it; it's a good buck, upper twenties buck, heavy basket frame, just just a good looking deer. Good job, Savage Hunter. And then the last one, this is a really big buck. Um, I'm careful throwing out the word giant; um, it's bordering on that. Uh, Dione, good job, buddy. I'm not going to butcher your last name. Not even going to try. Uh, Wild Idaho is his Instagram page. Go check that buck out. Um, heck of a buck. Uh, Dione's first archery buck. Way to go, man. Uh, super excited. Thanks for letting me know what was going on. Um, you're hooked, man. So everybody go check those out. Again, there's a common theme in four of those five bucks hit, hit me up on instagram if you figure out what that theme is and i'll confirm or deny uh, of course if you're on rock slide uh, let me know there too and uh buck hunters should study buck hunters that's that's all i can say okay so my hunt um i have been let's see i gotta back up the last time we talked about hunting in the field was i think early august i did that episode from scout camp and i did not end up finding a shooter buck on that trip and nor the next trip but about mid-august i think it was the 16th um, i had been checking an area where i got a shot at a good buck last year with my bow missed him way to go um my life story been working on that um Anyways, was hoping that that buck would show back up this summer. He never did. I have been there five, six times. He He's just not showing up. And, uh, you know, it's a winter kill area. Might have lost him in the winter. But I kind of find when these bucks get big, you know, this buck was pushing 30. He was heavy. Uh, they're, they're usually pretty old by then. So you don't have a lot of years to watch them. You know, if you, if you get to watch them grow up from like three years old on, 
they have an identifiable rack, then yeah, you get to enjoy many years of it. But, you know, if you don't find them until they're five, six, seven years old, sometimes you don't have very long to watch them. And uh, he's not around. And he was with a couple other nice bucks, and I, I don't see them either. But not too far from there on August 16th, um, I, it's pretty brushy country. It's kind of rolling sagebrush type country. I caught a glimpse of what I thought was about a 180 mid to upper 20s wide buck. And I wasn't like doing backflips, but I just thought, you know, that's a nice buck, especially for, you know, the Intermountain West this year with all the winter kill that we've had. And uh, he was like the 77th buck I'd seen this year. And um, I just took note of him. I still had a couple more trips to scout. And so I, I kept at it. And um, by late August, he turned out to be the best buck that I had seen. So Packed up my gear. I had a camp set, a road camp set um, in the area by the day before archery opener. And on the archery opener, I was on the back side of the canyon that I had seen him in. I could look down the entire canyon, kind of look into the east, and hopefully get my first good look at him. I didn't even get him digiscoped when I saw him. I didn't see him long enough. And, uh, you know, in my mind, I'm still thinking, I hope he's as big as I thought he was or bigger. And uh, opening day, I did not see him there. I saw about three other bucks, um, just regular bucks, nothing to get excited about. Um, there were some hunters there, but they, they weren't hunting right where I was seeing these bucks. They had a camp set up, and I think they went the other way. And uh, so the area was pretty quiet. But with being at the top of the canyon, looking that, looking down it, you can't see all the folds in the canyon. So I thought, you know, there's a possibility he got got by me through one of those little cuts or folds and or just bedded down before he got up where I could see him. So the next day I decided to go to the north and basically look to the south. So I'd be looking in into that canyon and um, have a better view of it. I'd be further away. It would be harder to get a stalk. But, you know, I needed to see if this buck was around and really what he was. And about 7.30, which is, you know, way after sunup this time of year, um, I had, I'd seen one, reg, one of those other bucks over there and nothing else. But the new hillside that I'm on, it's got some cuts that run north and south. And I'm sitting on the rim of one of those cuts. I call it a cut. It's because it's... It's bigger than a draw, but it's smaller than a canyon. Um, you know, it, it's, I don't know, probably a half a mile long. You could shoot from rim to rim with a rifle, you know, 500 yards, 600 yards. It's not huge, but I'm sitting on the rim of it because it was a good vantage point. I'm looking south, but I'm also watching down in this, this cut, and I see some deer feeding into it. Now, I know this area pretty well. There, there's. I did not ex was not surprised to see deer coming in it, and had kind of situated myself so I could watch it too. And as the deer began to filter in, it I saw two bucks and uh, a couple of does. It's that kind of country where the bucks and does mix up a little bit, and uh, it's got a bunch of ledges in it. I think the 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 bucks really like to bed under those ledges, small ledges like five feet tall, not nothing real huge, not cliffs by any means. And so I'm kind of watching them, kind of watching to the south, and a good buck comes walking in. And because 
I'm looking east. Okay, they are on the, the west-facing wall of the of the cut, and I'm looking to the east. So I'm looking into the sun. They're in they're in the shadows, which is always the hardest conditions to glass in. And uh, but it's often the only way you can see bucks at that time of day because they move into the shadows. And it took me a minute to figure it out, but it. I'm pretty sure, 99.5% sure, this is the buck I saw on August 16th. And it, it took a minute to identify him simply because I was looking for a heavier buck than this buck. Now, it doesn't matter how many years you look at mule deer, you, you still get goofed up on their velvet sometimes. It can be really hard to tell, are they, are they full of velvet or are they just heavy? Or, or there, is the velvet full of blood or are they just heavy? And when I saw this buck on August 16th, Probably just because I didn't see him very long. He looked really heavy. Not like mega pop can heavy, but, you know, five inches at the base, car carries it up into the tines. He looked like that kind of buck. But you always got to remember, too, well, that could just be his velvet. It's, 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 it's just hard to know. And so when this buck fed into the canyon, still in full velvet, and, but... He, he was lighter than what I thought. This buck is probably more like four and a half inches at the base and not willow horned. I wouldn't call him that, but just, I just was looking for a heavier buck. And, um, when I saw him in August too, I, he looked like he had really good back forks. You know, I figured that's kind of where he got, got it. He got his 180 from and, you know, everything in the front kind of matched up, you know, not except nothing excessively long, but everything was there that you needed. Um, you know, a 180 inch buck with a bow, man, I'm, especially on a winter kill year like this, I'm all over that. So I get looking at this buck and he's a little short in the back on one side. So his, his back G2s are probably 16 inches. And, uh, one side has probably got a nine inch fork an eight, nine inch fork, which means his G3 would be about eight or nine inches long, which is not too bad. You know, love to see him about 12, but those are as rare as unicorns. But the other side, and it's only about five inches deep. So, you know, he he loses a lot there. But nets are for, for fish. You know, his gross would probably still put him mid-170s, um, which is nothing to write home about. But when you've looked at that many bucks in a summer in, you know, 200-mile circle, and that's the best one you've seen, you 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 can't get too picky. So I thought, well, this is him. This is what I came for. This is the target buck. Um, I, I don't know of a better one. I should really try to get him. And so this is probably 745, 8 o'clock. I'm, I'm getting better and better looks at him. He's actually moving moving towards me. He's across the canyon. He's probably 300 yards away. And uh, I'm getting all kinds of angles at him. So I blow up. Travis Hobbs phone. You know, I want to show him this buck. You know, he's been teasing me for weeks that I can't find a good buck and, you know, just that back and forth kind of stuff, you know, um, you know, send, sending me laughing emojis. Like, you know, have you found a good buck yet with a laughing emoji, which, you know, just means he's making fun of me. So anyways, I text him the buck and I said, dude, this is him. I, this is that buck I was telling you about. And, and I, I thought, I just thought he, he would just, take a jab at me and he didn't he wrote right back he said kill it man kill it because you know he knows there's just not a lot of big bucks around right now and i said all right well that's what i needed to know and he was hunting too so 
You know, he couldn't text very much. And, 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 and by the way, this buck is still on his feet. There's nothing I can do. I've got to wait for him to bed, see what he's going to do. See if I'm going to get a crack at him in his first bed or if it's going to be second bed, you know, that kind of stuff. And so he's in the shadows on the west facing side of, 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 of that big cut. And uh, I'm, I'm watching him and I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I, I always like to have a friend to kind of bounce some stuff off of if, if you have time, you know, um, these these archery stocks can be all day kind of deals. And so um, my dad, he's great, but, you know, he's not real good with texting. You know, you'll send him a text at nine o'clock in the morning and you'll hear from him three Tuesdays later and he'll say, oh, man, I just saw your text. You know, so I thought, well. I'll send him a quick video of the buck and but I'm not I'm not going to you know text back and forth with him on this. And I got thinking about my friend Mark Smith. Yep, Muley Slayer on Instagram. Um and I don't know if you saw his post uh from about 3 weeks ago. He had uh an archery hunt planned. He had, he had a tag he was going on. And well Mark lives in Texas and he works in uh refrigeration, HVAC, I believe. And Texas has had this this huge heat wave this summer and he's just overwhelmed at work. And so he had to miss that hunt. And uh and you know, missing a deer hunt, especially in this day and age when tags are hard to get, you know, that's like number five on my my biggest fears in life is, you know, missing a deer hunt. So I felt really bad for him. So I thought, you know what, I'd blow up his phone and see if see if he's available and you know, I'll take him deer hunting. So I text him a video of that buck and and uh just said, Hey man, what's going on? He's like, Hey, what what's that? I, and it's, I told him a little bit, you know, just a few texts back and forth. And I said, I'll, I'll take you deer hunting today. If, if you want to go, you know, and he's laughing. He's like, all right, you know, he's, he's at work, but you know how it is when you're at work and your buddies are blowing up your phone with big bucks, you know, you're, you're kind of half working. So I, I thought, okay, I, I, I have him here. Plus Mark has probably killed 50 to hundred mule deer with his bow. Great guy to be bouncing stuff off of, um, when planning a stock and, you know, stuff like that. So, so this is going on all morning, you know, I'm sending him different, different videos of the buck and different angles and, you know, the, took a picture of the kind of that whole Canyon wall and, uh, you know, kind of showed him there's only a couple of bedding areas over there. Um, because it, it's a West facing slope. It's got, it's got draws coming down it that run, I guess they run East and West. So they get, they, they, they get some shade in the mornings and the, then the North side of those East and West cuts, um, have shade in the afternoons. And so those, those bucks will use different parts of them. And so I'm kind of showing him those and everything. And, you know, we're kind of thinking, wait till 11, 12, one, two o'clock, you know, let's see what he does. And, uh, even though it's pretty wide open Canyon, it's got sagebrush. That's probably chest high. The rock cast is powered by Onyx hunt, the number one hunting GPS app in the industry. Join the millions of hunters who trust Onyx to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Some of the key features of Onyx are the ability to combine critical land data with on-the-ground exploration to build your perfect map and find success. All your save markups sync automatically to all devices for use in the field or from home. Onyx includes nationwide public and private land boundaries. Hunt with confidence and find new opportunities using color-coded public land maps, private parcel ownership information, and clearly marked boundaries. Mark locations crucial to your hunt with custom waypoints. Measure distances of your walk-in, shot across canyon, or distance to the nearest access point with lines. 
View maps in 3D and choose satellite, topo, or hybrid base maps to have the best, easy-to-read visual for your hunt. Go as far from the grid as you want. No cell service required. Save detailed maps, layers, and markups for offline use. With live tracking and current location features, you'll make it out and back just like you planned. Don't risk getting turned around or lost. So if you're ready to make the jump to Onyx, use the code ROCKCAST at checkout and save yourself 20% which is perfect for mule deer. Uh, it's got, got bitter brush in it and everything. And I lose track of him. I, he, he lays down somewhere over there, and, and, and he's with a, loosely about five other bucks that are kind of spread out in a, I don't know, 80-yard circle. And there's uh, two does and two fawns up at the very, very head of the cut that they're in. Um, so, you know, in that... 150 yard area there's you know roughly 10 deer so you know plenty of eyeballs you got to be careful um but you know i've i've hunted deer in that canyon when there's been like 30 deer in there you know we have a lot of deer around and uh so you know this this really wasn't too bad so i'm watching them all morning and you know run, running little ideas by mark and everything and um and i finally i i spot the buck I, I see him laying down. The sun had moved just enough that uh, the sun was kind of shining on his antlers. And I spotted him and the, the other mature buck that he was with. Now, the buck I'm chasing is probably only a four-year-old deer. You know, I'm looking at his face, looking at his brisket. He doesn't have a sway back, you know, but he's not a three-year-old deer. He doesn't look like that, you know, but he, you know, he's definitely not an old, old buck. The other buck he was with was about the same body size too, you know, getting beefy, but, you know, we're not talking 275-pound deer. We're talking, like, 225-pound deer. So um, the, the, the two best bucks are laying about 10 yards from each other. And then all those other little crap heads are kind of running around and, you know, acting like two points do and walking all over the place and bedding right out on open slopes. And, you know, I'm, I'm just watching this whole thing unfold and just hoping that these, these bigger bucks end up alone. And away from those those other bucks and definitely away from those does. Well, on about 12 o'clock, the sun, that buck is still in his bed. Now, I didn't I didn't stalk him for a couple of reasons already. I just told you one. T too much deer activity right there. And, and Mark agreed, you know, with that many deer moving around just to wait. And um, I was pretty sure that was not going to be his day bed, as in the, the bed he stayed in all day, because it was on a west-facing slope. That means by the afternoon, you know, 1, 2 o'clock, that sun's going to be shining right on him, and it's going to get hot, and then he's going to have to find a north-facing ledge, which there are some over there, or he's going to have to cross the cut, go down through the bottom, and come up on the on the east-facing side, which in the afternoon would be shaded, if you can kind of wrap your mind around all that. That's what I've seen deer, deer do this time of year when it's hot. And so that that's why I didn't stalk him. I thought, you know, this buck is going to move. Well, on about, you know, 11, 12 o'clock, somewhere there, I can't remember, but the sun starts shining on him, like full sun on this buck. The other buck that was with him was laying under about a five-foot ledge, and he was in full shade. He had the best bed in the area that I could see. And so I'm texting Mark saying, man, this buck's going to get up here pretty quick. And, and he just keeps laying there. And, and part, you know, part of me is like, gosh, I should, I should have stalked him. Those other smaller bucks had all bedded down 30, 40 yards away from the buck 
in the opposite direction I would come in for a stock. So it's looking better by the half hour. You know, every half hour, something kind of tips in my favor. Um, but now that the sun's on him, I'm like, okay, okay he's going to get up and move. And if, and if he gets up and he moves to the east-facing side of the cut, that's going to be on the side I'm I'm on, and just the roll of the hill, I'm probably not going to be able to see him. And I think we lose a lot of deer that way. They get underneath us. They're on the same hillside we're on, but they're very careful, especially these older bucks, of the hillsides that they'll travel on. And they like to have a hillside that they cannot see the top on. Because if they can't see the top, whatever's on the top can't see them either. And they know that. And I, th I think that's why I've killed a lot of deer at pretty short range, even with a rifle. Um, because I, I just know places where you can just creep down the, down the slope, you know, 300 yards, and you still haven't seen all of it. And there's a little rise. And, you know, you can get on that rise as long as you're careful. And there'll be bucks, you know, 100 to 300 yards below you. So it was that kind of, that kind of slope. I'm kind of going on and on about that. But I thought, man, if he, if he gets up underneath me, that's fine. But I'm, I'm going to have a harder time knowing what bed he's in. And the gold standard is to know what bed they're in. You, you, you don't always get to, you know, just, just the way mule deer country rolls and, you know, the cuts and divots and everything in it. You don't always get to see him bed. But, um, so I'm, I've got the glass on him and man, he has been in full sun, like, like 40 minutes. And I keep texting Mark, like, man, he's shaking his rack. He's wiggling his ears, but he just keeps laying there, you know? And, and Mark's like, man, we got to get him to two o'clock. If we can get him to two o'clock, he's probably going to stay there until about dark. And, uh, and I agree. So, um, I watch him and about one o'clock, 1245, something like that. He finally gets up. And I'm thinking, okay, he's gonna he's gonna move out of there. That's like full sunlight. That other big buck has the best bed. Um, he's he's gonna move. Well, he didn't. He just walked about three yards, got back in in some shade, and laid back down, and uh, was facing away from me. And I. I I didn't realize it was that shady until he walked into that spot. I thought he was in full sunlight. And sure enough, that was a good little cubby right there. And he's still laying on flat ground. He's not under a ledge or anything. What he's shaded by is just the high sage. And it's probably a, a buck bed there that's dug out. And, you know, he's down three or four inches below the dirt line, which gives him even more shade. So I think, you know what? this might be his day bed. You know, his, his partner's still in full shade. This buck's now in full shade again. And, you know, it's not quite two o'clock what we wanted, but it's getting to be one. And so I texted Mark, said, man, I think I'm going to go. Um, he's only about 250 yards away from me now, which isn't very far. Um, and this is when you want to hurry if you can. Now, I use that word carefully because I've hurried a lot of deer right out of the country. But, you know, if, you, if, if you're within striking distance of them and they bed down and you can cut off 150 yards in not very long, man, your odds go up because you're, you're always gambling. Are they going to get up and move while you're on the stock and you're not going to see them? That, that's how I usually lose them myself. Uh, so, anyways, I'm, I'm pretty much ready to go. and. Um, 
I have to creep about 50 yards in the wide open. That takes me a little bit of time. But then I get the curve of the hill between me and him, and I can cruise. And I go to the bottom of the, the cut, and then I turn to the right, which is headed away from him, basically headed south, and I make a loop to get around and up above him. Now, remember those does I told you about that had been above him? They had moved by this time, too. From, from what I could tell, the coast was clear. I had a straight line into him and that other buck. Every other deer was bedded on the other side of them or below them. Um, so I had taken a picture of it. Always take a picture of it with your phone. Mark it on the phone where they're at. Everything's going to look different when you get over there, and it will help to have a picture. But I also uh, dropped a waypoint on my Onyx, and I had my uh, maps downloaded. So I had good resolution, and I couldn't see the bush he was laying under on Onyx, but I could see kind of the shadows of the hill right there. So I, I, I dropped a pin on Onyx. I figured that he's probably within 50 yards of that pin right there. And uh, so I made that loop. I got down to the bottom, got above him, and I'm thinking I'm about 100 to i don't know 125 yards from him you know i mean i'm not counting numbers in my head but i'm thinking you know i'm i'm far enough away now i'm okay drop your pack uh get your boots off um i've got my gulu stocking shoes get those on and then creep in that last 100 yards i'm thinking so i do all that and it's getting on to be about 130 right now and uh Decent thermals, not high winds. I would like a little more wind than this, but, you know, I had the thermals. Everything was in place. So I start creeping towards him, and I'm out on a pretty wide open hillside uh, with some scree and, you know, loose rock. It's kind of noisy. You got to be careful. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm thinking I got about 100 yards. Well, I only go about 15 or 20 yards creeping along and man i can tell i'm way closer than what i thought i was going to be um looking at that pin on onyx i'm like 60 or 70 yards from where i think the bucks are i mean i'm almost within striking distance you know my goal is to get them under 60 and uh so i'm like wow this this is closer than I thought. That's good, but I'm also like, wow, man, I hope they didn't hear me, you know, back there screwing around, taking off my boots and dumping my pack. Um, so I just keep creeping, glassing, um, using using my eight Swaros ELs and just, just hitting every bush, every shadow, and I'm not seeing any deer standing anywhere, which is good because uh, as soon as the first one stands, you're, you're, you're stuck. You got to stay there until they move. And um, I think I could see the ledge the other buck is bedded under. I can see kind of a prominent ledge out there. And it's at about 55, 60, if I remember. And the other buck should just be off to the left of that. So, you know, in striking distance almost. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm watching that stuff, watching it with my bare eyes. And all of a sudden, off to my left, I catch a deer walking way down in the bottom of the draw in the, in the deep brush. And so I throw my binos up, and it's him. And he's walking up the draw, which kind of puts him at a 45-degree angle going away from me. He's like 70 yards below his last bed. He had gotten up in that time that I made that circle. So he was not in his day bed. Mistake. Should have listened to Muley Slayer and waited till after two. But um, he's not spooked. He's just walking and feeding a little bit. 
So I thought, well, at least I got I got an eye on him, and he is moving over to the east-facing side of the cut, so he's going to be in the shade. And I thought, well, at least here I would be able to see him, where if I was still up on my glassing point, I would not be able to see him. He'd already be underneath me. So I'm watching him, and, 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 and then I hear more bucks walking, more deer walking, and I look, and, and just down below where he'd been walking, here's four bucks coming out of the draw as well. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, they all got up, which is okay. You know, they need to move over there. So I'm just sitting on the hillside watching them. Well, these bucks are acting nervous, you know, looking back towards me, you know, little stiff-legged walks, stopping and staring, where my target buck, he – this is why I should just name him because, you know, his name is not Target. Um, but the buck I'm after, I, I usually don't name him unless I've had a history with him. Uh, so this is only the second time I've seen him. So he doesn't have a name. So we're going to call him Target Buck for the sake of the story. So Target Buck is, is he's relaxed. You know, he's just, he's cool. He's just walking away, feeding a little bit. These other bucks are making me really nervous because I'm like, man, if they, they blow out of here, they're going to take him. And I watch them, and they start climbing the canyon wall, and now they're straight across from me, which makes them even more nervous because I'm out in the open. I can't really hide now. There's nothing I can do. I'm pinned down, so I'm just laying against the hill just watching them. And uh, they get more and more nervous and kind of break into a trot, and then they walk, and then they trot, and they walk. And I'm just waiting for Target Buck to to catch on to what's going on and blow out of there. Well, he doesn't. He's kind of walking diagonally away from them. You know, if just imagine a V. The bottom of the V is where they were together. He's going up the right leg. They're going up the left leg. And they're kind of working their way back out of the canyon, almost on a on route to hit the glassing point that I had been on. And so they're going that way. And I'm starting to think this might work out okay because they're leaving and he's not spooked. You know, I might get him to myself. And the only other deer I know about in this draw are these does. And I don't think they bedded down in here. I might just have me and him only right here. So I let those other bucks leave. You know, they never broke out into a run, but you know, they're just reading deer behavior. They're, they knew something was up. And, uh, they left, and so I'm I'm watching him, and all of this happened in about 10 minutes, and that's about long enough for a deer to feed in midday and then go bed back down, and sure enough, that's what he's doing. He fed in that taller uh, brush that was in the bottom of the cut. You know, that's where the moisture collects, so that's typically where it grows the best vegetation, not out on those burning hot hillsides, and so he walks up the cut. And then he makes a fish hook. He's walking away from me, but he makes a fish hook and turns and starts coming right back at me on the opposite slope and headed for a, a couple of the ledges. And sure enough, there's a bed there. I, I can hear him digging out the bed. I, I'm just watching him in my power binoculars. I mean, I can see him with my naked eye. Mm, 150 yards away. You know, not, not very far at all. And uh, he digs the bed out turns his butt towards me and plops down and there's a big serviceberry bush growing over top of this ledge and it had died years before and so it was just like fingers of a skeleton hanging over that uh, ledge which just broke up his outline made probably made him comfortable it's probably why he liked that bed you know obviously he knew that bed was right there he was headed right for it the whole time uh, th this is definitely their living room and uh i'm like wow this this is this is good fortune here. Praise God. He is uh, facing away from me. He's he's in the shadows. He's got branches over him because I'm pinned down on an open hillside. 
I've got to get off this open hillside to cross the canyon and get over and get above him and make a stock. And so um, I, I end up having to creep back to where my boots were because that was the exit route. And I thought, you know, I'll grab my boots and I've got a, I got a pretty big hike to get up and around him. It, it didn't want to do that in the gulus. And uh, so I creep back to my boots and, you know, I, I probably spent about five minutes getting back there. I just didn't want him to see me, you know, and it, it was only like 20 yards uh, to get back to him. I was, I was surprised how close I was to him. Cause remember in the beginning of the story, I ended up way closer to where he, where I thought he was than I, than I expected to be. So I got back to my boots and I keep looking at him and he is not looking my way. I can see one, he's got, he's got a, a good fork on him and I can see that sticking out from behind the bush and he's not looking my way. I can't really see his eyes or his face, but I can tell by his antler and he's not looking at me. So I, I get to the bottom of the draw. I make a, a, a circle to get up. No, I got to back up. He's not looking at me, and I'm going to get to the bottom of the draw and make a circle around him, but I got to get my boots back on. So I duck down below the brush line, so I'm like a little cartoon character. I can just peek above the brush line, and I can I can see him laying there. And so I'm getting my boots on, getting my bow ready um, to, to carry, not to shoot, but to carry. And I got my day pack back on, and now I'm getting ready to head to the bottom of the draw. And, you know, this is going to be like kind of creeping for 20, 30 yards. Then I should be out of sight and I should be able to make that loop and get above him. Well, I get all gathered up and I creep back over the brush just to double check when I can start moving. He's out of that bed and I can't see him standing there anywhere. You know, I'm just looking with my naked eye for a minute. I'm thinking he's just got to be standing right there. You know, he's heard me or something or, you know, I wouldn't think he would get up to feed that quickly, but they're weird. Sometimes they lay down for just a minute and then they get up and eat again. So I'm straining my eyeballs out. I cannot see him there. So I sit back down and get back into glassing position and start just tearing it apart. Every bush, every rock, that whole draw. Because remember I said it's, it's pretty deep in the bottom of that draw. I cannot see him anywhere down there. And I probably spent a little too much time with tunnel vision looking into those beds instead of just dropping my binocs and just staring at the whole hillside. Because a deer moving at midday casts a shadow on the ground. So they're pretty easy to see because it's like, you know, the deer might blend in with the sage, but, you know, you see a dark shadow moving through the sage. It's, it's like two deer, you know, a, a, a tan one and a black one, you know. And so I didn't really do wide angle vision because I thought he was in those beds. So by the time I did wide angle vision, you know, really looking at the canyon wall, because these bucks just melt into the sage. It just amazes me how easy it is to lose them. Um, I, I think he walked out of there without me seeing him because he was not there. Now, I didn't just get up and walk out of there. I crept around the rim of that canyon for another hour, peering down into those draws. The Rockcast is also powered by MagView Gear. Step up your digiscoping game with the most streamlined digiscoping adapter in the industry. MagView pioneered a new era of digiscoping with its universal minimalistic spotting scope and binocular adapters. The system is designed to eliminate the frustrations and inconveniences found in traditional digiscoping systems. MagView's multifunctional system consists of three interchangeable designs the S1 spotting scope adapter, the B1 binocular adapter, and the MagView phone plate. All MagView systems create an incredibly strong, stable digiscoping platform, 
and only require a super thin stainless steel plate adhered to the phone to secure it to the optic. No more bulky phone cases, no more optic specific adapters. MagView is the digiscoping choice for minimalist hunters looking for one adapter to fit most in-class optics. Many Rockslide members and staff have chosen the MagView system. You can see our in-depth review at rockslide.com and the Rockslide YouTube channel. To discover more about MagView gear, visit magviewgear.com for full specification, installation videos, and tips and tricks. Start capturing your own MagView moments today. He got out of there, and that the bottom of that cut is is deep brush. And if if he went to the to the north, he could walk in that a long ways without me seeing him. And I don't know, but I you know got back up on the rim, back to my original glassing point. I glassed all around there. I couldn't see him, and I I thought, well, I don't want to go down in there and bugger him up because maybe there's a chance he did just get up and move like they do every single day, and he didn't really even see me, didn't see me at all. He's just doing what deer do, and I don't want to bugger him up. I'm gonna be back here in the morning, so so I I got out of there late afternoon, you know, told Muley uh, Muley Slayer the the gig was up, you know, and um, we had a good time deer hunting together, virtual deer hunting. And I told him I'd blow him up again if I found the buck. So next two days, let's see, that was Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, sex. So I spent three more days in that canyon. No sign of him or any deer, which is classic for I spooked him. Um, maybe I didn't spook him individually, but these big bucks really key in on the deer around them. I think I think that's their gift. I think that's what they develop over the years. They they pay attention to what's going on with the other deer. They they they're they're big users. They use other deer to for their for their defense. You know they they pay attention to that. So he, for sure, I made those other bucks nervous, and they left. And he, oh, I, I'm not saying I didn't spook him, but he definitely didn't go bounding out of there like a, you know a crazy buck. Uh, but they're gone. They're gone. And I, I gave it two, two more days in there. And then the weather was coming in and I thought this place needs a rest anyways. Um, I need to pull out of here. Um, and my, my daughter had a soccer game, uh, Sunday was coming, wanted to worship the Lord. So that's what I did. I pulled out and then got back in there two days later, right after the rain quit, which was this morning. And so perfect conditions going in there. And by the way, those other hunters I had mentioned, I had, those guys pulled out. I hadn't seen them. I kind of had had this place to myself unless somebody hunted it the, the two days I was gone. So I get in there this morning and and the deer slowly started trickling back into that that cut, which was good because remember, for three days, there were no deer in there. And uh, about Eight o'clock, everything that was coming in was small. I did see those does again or different does. Um, small bucks, um, two points, three points, you know, one to three-year-old deer is all I was seeing coming in. And then about 8, 8.30, um, I spotted a new buck that I had not seen before. And um, if, if people people say four-point western count, they're, they're not counting brow tines. So this buck was... Um, I guess a three point Western count, but he had four on each antler. 
So big three by three and not real big or I would have stocked him, but probably 26, 27 wide, uh, just light antlered, you know, probably a three-year-old buck, uh, just a good looking rack. I mean, if this buck gets a two more years on him, he's, he's, he's going to be a good wide, you know, classic 30 inch looking frame kind of buck. Well, he's in there this morning, which is a good sign. At least there's, you know, one sort of older buck in there. Um, he bedded up not far from where this, these bucks had bedded up last week, but I stayed all morning, uh, clear into early afternoon. I never did see the, the target buck I've been after. So the good news is that, that, that place is healed up. At least the deer are using it again. I pulled out, um, uh, went to my, my daughter's soccer game tonight. I'm headed back right now and, um, won't be able to hunt tonight, obviously. Um, but, uh, tomorrow I'll be in there and, uh, we'll see what I turn up. Um, you know, he's the best buck I know about. It's, it's hard to get excited about a 175 buck, but on a year like this, you kind of have to, you can't be, can't be too choosy. I do have one other spot that I have um, scouted a little bit this year that had some bucks in it, but I haven't got a really good look at it to turn over every buck in there. So I may check that spot too, but I'm going to give this spot at least tomorrow before I make a decision on what I'm going to do. And um, of course I've hunted all the country around it in those other days. I didn't just stay right there. Um, and, and I've kind of noticed when, when they leave, I can't find them again. I, I, I rarely ever find them again if they leave that kind of core area that I've been seeing them in. And and usually what I end up doing is just waiting for them to come back. But, you know, you can only sit for so long. And so I always check the country around it. I've hunted that whole square mile around there. Um, I, I, I'm not seeing him. I don't, I don't know where they go. I don't know what they do. Um, he's got to be right there somewhere. But what we're hoping is he shows back up in there. And, uh, so we'll give you another shot tomorrow. So that's my hunt so far. Uh, a couple of takeaways on it. Uh, first with, the uh, hard winter, uh, antler growth was delayed. And I've confirmed this throughout the Intermountain West with various guys that are like, yeah, they, we, you know, by usually by late June, you can really tell what a buck is going to be, man, by late June this year, they look like they do in mid to early June. You know, they were way off. It seems like they slowly caught up th through the summer, but, uh, we had a thread on rock slide about wonder if velvet rub will be delayed if antler growth was delayed. And it seems like it is because almost always by September 1st, I'm seeing about 10 to 20% of the bucks are rubbed off. And it's now the fifth. I haven't seen any bucks that are rubbed. Everything is still packing velvet. And so it seems like velvet rub is a little bit delayed too. So, you know, do what you want with that. Don't know what really what it means, but I, I'd always rather hunt them in velvet than hardhorn when I'm packing a bow. Um, they just seem to be a little more predictable. Um, and that thread on rock slide, a couple of other guys have chimed in and they're, they're seeing the same thing. More bucks are still in velvet. Um, it's very green right now. You've heard me say that all through the summer on the podcast, but it's notable. And um, um, I met a 90 year old guy. We'll talk about him here in just a minute. And, and you know, he's he's lived around this country for years. And he says it's as green as he ever remembers in, in his lifetime, you know, probably 85 years of memory. He cannot never say it was greener than it is now, um, which is incredible. That is just great for deer. Um, and a lot of these sage, I, I mean, I think all deer, you know, this, 
every you're you're always hunting them feed to bed, feed to bed. But this time of year, especially you know low elevation sagebrush deer, um, I think it's exaggerated in hunting them feed to bed. And what I mean by that is I think that they travel a long ways between feed and bed. Um, and I, I think it's a, it's a survival mechanism because where they get chased is in their feed area. You know, that's where they're the most visible. I mean, trust me, in these bedding areas, I don't care if you're hunting 10,000 feet or 3,000 feet, these bedding areas conceal the deer. That's, that's the point, right? And so where they encounter the most predators, the most pressure is, 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 is in their feed areas. And I think that's why they get out of them. By the time the sun is hitting a lot of these feed areas, they're, they're out of them or they're on the fringes of them. And I think that's exaggerated in wide open country. I think that they, they, they travel further. And that's why some of these places that I hunt in these low, 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 excuse me, low elevation deer, you know, there's nothing around the first hour of light and then and then you start looking in the shadows after the first hour and boom you're finding deer new deer coming in and what's happening is they're coming off of the sunny slope uh they're coming off of the open feed areas and getting into the bedding areas so you're always looking for that this time of year uh don't don't rule a place out until you've watched it for a little while in the mornings and then as it gets later in the mornings and uh the places that start shading up which are going to be your northwest slopes really start peering into those um that's where a lot of those bucks will end up because you know they don't want to be naked out in those, those that sagebrush you know they they feel vulnerable especially the open bucks um and i I think it's the same in the high country and the wide open high country stuff you know if there's any pressure at all around they want to get out of those feed areas and get to the more secure bedding areas Uh, you're not really ambushing them when you're hunting them with a bow you know i think of an ambush as like sitting on a trail actually gonna gonna kill the deer as the deer comes to me but you're sort of ambushing them in the sense of you're 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 trying to figure out where they're going for their beds so that you can you can stalk them so you're you're kind of setting an ambush in like okay i'm hoping i keep talking about this cut these deer show up in this cut but the chance of one walking by me uh, that's pretty that's pretty small. I don't, I don't do much of that type of hunting with a bow. I'll do it with a rifle, but not with a bow. Um, it's just a low odds proposition. It's hard to get a deer to walk by. It's better to get him, get him bedded and, um, and then pin him down and, 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 and have a, have a destination you're headed for. And that's full of all kinds of challenges too. But, um, but anyways, um, deer density, versus habitat utilization. I want to talk about that too. Um, This was documented by Dr. Richard Mackey. Gosh, I think it was in the 80s um, in Montana. You can look it up. Dr. Richard Mackey um, wrote a a book on it. I can't, it's, it's, it's one of those scientific papers with a great big long name. I can't even remember what it's called, but Dr. Richard Mackey, look it up. And what he found was after hard winters was, and the deer density dropped, that the deer um, pulled into their very core areas and utilize the very, very best habitat. And the opposite of that would be when the deer herd gets big, like it did in 16, 15 and 16, you get a lot of deer traveling outside of the prime habitat areas and starting to occupy less desirable habitat. And I think it's just 
elbow room. They just, there's more deer on the landscape. You know, they don't want to live on top of each other. So they spread out. So on these hard winters, that's one of the first things that happens on opening day, all the easy spots where, you know, you could drive up the road and see a bunch of deer, those are cleared out. And it's probably because they weren't ideal habitat to begin with. It was kind of like an overflow area for the deer is the best way I could explain it. And, um, and that's what I'm seeing this year in the winter kill areas that I have looked at. There's still deer around. I'm, I'm seeing about a third less bucks than normal. Um, but the core areas where I've always seen deer, which always seem to hold deer year in, year out, that's where they are. But these fringe areas that sometimes I could turn a good buck over in and, you know, like, gosh, what a, what a dumb place. You know, this is just right off the highway and, you know, just off the mountain down there. And, and yet there's bucks down there. You know, they're not, they're not prime areas, but they'll hold bucks when the deer population's high. Those places don't seem to have hardly any deer in them. And, uh, you know, take that's for what it's worth. But, you know, when deer, deer go to a low density level, they'll use, they'll utilize the most valuable habitat or the most productive habitat, or that's just all that's left. You know, the only deer that are left are in that. I, I don't know. And that's probably only a tip that, you know, really experienced buck hunters can use anyways because you kind of have to know those areas and that's you know sure enough that's why i ended up back in one of my most familiar areas this year because i started checking these areas that always hold deer and sure enough they're the only ones that have any deer in them that's why i still have one more place to scout because um that place seems to always hold deer year in year out winter kill no winter kill it's just one of those prime habitat areas so you know if you're a newer hunter you just got to Put your dues in. Got to get out and find these places and keep a good journal. Um, let's see. Um, the 90-year-old guy I met, so cool. He was born in the 1930s. So by like 1950, he was like 15 years old. He had five or six brothers. And um, I, he, he's a cattleman. And 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 so um, he, he saw me. We were talking. I, I talked about this in my articles and books and videos. I always talk to the locals if they'll talk to you. And uh, he was more than happy to talk to me. He gave me a whole history of deer hunting in this area. It was so cool. But he said something without me even prodding him. He says, I'm pretty lucky. He says, I got to see the deer herd when it was nothing. And then I got to see it at its peak. And then I get to see it right now, which he described as on its way down. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says, well, in, in 1950, just about the time I was starting to hunt, he goes, I had five, five older brothers and they, they were all hunting along with dad. And he says, we would get like one deer a year. He said, it was tough. There was not a lot of deer around. And he says, everything was so overgrazed. And he referred to a few cattle pastures that are around here that have like three to 500 head on them right now. And he said, back in the fifties, those pastures had like 6,000 head. He said, there was no vegetation left on these hills. And he says, then the rain would come and the mud and the rocks and the erosion. He says, it was just terrible. And the deer suffered greatly. They just did not have that many deer. You know, everything was just chewed off. And then with, you know, changes in the laws and, you know, grazing of what BLM and Forest Service would allow, he said, it, by the mid 50s and 60s, that began to recover. And he said, boy, the deer just came out of the woodwork. And if, if you, there, there's a good book out there. I reviewed it on my blog. It's by Dennis Austin. It's called a, a Utah handbook for deer hunters, something like that. Just, just look it up. Dennis Austin is his name. And, um, grazing is not all bad. 
All right. And grazing done at the right levels can really help mule deer because typically grazing done by uh, cattle and sheep takes out the vegetation that deer don't want anyways. And it allows the vegetation that deer want. To, it doesn't have any competition. So the woody browse, cows are not typically eating the woody browse. And so it can just do really well with the right amount of grazing. And that's what this guy felt like it was like once they got the grazing under control, the deer just took off in leaps and bounds. And he said, man, by the mid sixties and kind of, we're, we're kind of standing out in the valley when I'm talking to him on my, I'm on my way back to camp. I'm not in my hunting area, but he's pointing around the valley. He's like, every one of these draws had 30 inch bucks in them in the sixties. He says, every one of them, he says, you could hardly go up one without getting a crack at a, at a 30 incher. I mean, you know, he's talking about like after school hunts with his dad and, and, um, and his brothers, and, you know, they, they would get a 30 incher every time that somebody would, it was just incredible deer hunting and, you know, tons of deer the numbers were there and he said that lasted until about the mid to late 70s and he said in his mind what changed is just the hunting seasons were too long and i remember this too when i was a kid 45 day hunting seasons that went almost to december you know hunt clear through the rut um you know unlimited tags two deer areas he says that really took a toll on him um and then it kind of slipped into the 80s and then you know we've talked about this on the podcast some of the problems with the droughts in the 90s and things like that it's it's just continued to slip but this guy's not all doomsday he's like hey the deer hunting right now is better than it was in the 50s you know which was just surprising to me. I mean, you, you you think, oh no, it just had to be great then. He's like, no, he said there's way more deer right now than there was then. And and this is even taking into account that he's seeing less deer this year too because of the winter kill. But just really cool to get, you know, a 90-year-old's perspective on deer hunting. And so, you know, I, I say this all the time, you know, just, just be optimistic. The past is the past. It's not coming back. Um, the future's all we got. And, uh, you know, maybe the future's not as bright right now as it was a couple of years ago. But these deer, deer will recover. Remember that same guy said, I've never seen these hills this green. Just he never remembers it being better than that. That means fat does, um, high fawn survival, hyper-reproduction rate. You know, we just we just got to get the weather to cooperate. And so far, it's been one of the best summers on records for that. We're going to we're going to get some good recovery out of this um, as long as you don't get another hard winter right on top of it. Uh, so anyways, um, hopefully there's something there for all of you guys. And, uh, you know, get get out there, uh, take good notes, uh, learn your deer country. Uh, don't expect to see a giant everywhere. There's not very many out there this 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 year. Um Seems like that upper age class really got hit, but uh, what I said at the first of the podcast, go check out those ones those guys killed. And, uh, you know, I don't know all the areas they killed them in and everything, but I, I do know some of them. And these are just places that you could hunt almost every year, depending on the on whether you're a resident or non-resident. And uh, um, they're turning them over. You can too. Um, always be hopeful. Support the Mule Deer Foundation. Uh, definitely join up. 35 bucks will get you a year and a good magazine, and you'll feel good about it, and you'll help Mule Deer. Okay, we'll talk to you guys soon. Best of luck out there. God bless you.